We're off to a flying start. <laughs> the good thing is I can just edit this out, so it's fine. <laughs> I look like a normal person, and yeah. you continue to look however I choose you to. <laughs> you're a sick man. How was your poo? It was so good. You Tell know how sometimes everything. you leave and you're just like, I needed it. I got everything out of that that I wanted. I feel great. I'm refreshed. Let's go eat some more. Or in my case, crack a lacroix. Hey, back on the lacroix. Um, yeah, no, that that um, that rings true for me more than you could know at this point. Okay, yeah. Some yeah. international travel tummy tales coming. It's just a lot of inconsistency. Okay. It was very consistent for a long time. Okay. And then, and then, uh, and then the other night, I had to get up at you know three in the morning, and it was it was painful. You know, when I was in there doing my business. I thought to myself, I wonder how quickly this podcast is going to devolve into poop talk. And even by my conservative es- estimates of very quickly, I think we've topped it. <laughs> I think we we've topped it in, in the first minute. So, so that's great. Well, this is primarily a poo pod. <laughs> we know that. We've established that. With some, um, with some workout yeah. and slash gym yeah. uh, content. <laughs> It's either stool talk or swell talk. I mean, we've come a long way. We've yeah. either evolved or devolved. <laughs> That's up to the listener to decide. We wanted this to be a philosophical, hypothetical podcast, <laughs> and we ended up at shit. We were navel gazing, and then we just kept going. We just went. We went deeper. <laughs> <laughs> I just How you got doing? that navel gazing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, because of the belly button. Because it's there. Yeah, looking in. Yeah. Wow. I'm good. I'm good. What are you? How what are you? You've got a curly straw and everything. What's that? Is that an iced tea? No, it's it's a uh, iced coffee. But the Vietnamese are very keen on putting curly straws in everything. That's fun. Like really everything. Okay. Uh, where it's not necessary. Like a not no, not just curly straws. Yeah. Curly stirrers. They'll put two. A, They'll a, put a, a curly s- straw and a curly stirrer. A curly swizzle stick. Yeah. Wow. It makes you feel like a real child for ordering. An adult string. Or does it add a little bit of whimsy into our otherwise mundane lives? There you go. Yeah, I guess so. I guess that's the, that's what they're It is for. a little bit hard to take you seriously. <laughs> I will say yeah. that it does do a sort of a reputational impact when you're like chasing after the, the straw with your tongue. Yeah, I know. Because <laughs> <trying to> get... <laughs> I'm trying, trying to maintain to get... eye contact with you. Yeah, which I appreciate. And I'm just like, I'm just, you know, trying to put an invisible penis in my mouth it's a little bit like uh clueless like it gives me vibes of just like like early 2000s um ditzy character you know like searching after a, a frozen drink yeah i'm gonna say the uh, one surprising thing about um about traveling has been uh the coffee culture in both uh korea and vietnam because I you know I love I love a cup of joe in the morning. Yeah, you're you know a regular me. guy. Yeah. Don't even talk to me until I've had my my morning cup of coffee kind of guy. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, and you've um, got that mug made up and everything. But in Korea they have it's like a gigantic coffee culture where you can get those like big gulps of like black yeah, you know, iced coffee and that's everywhere and Vietnam's not not it's got a it's a different type of coffee culture, but it's there's literally cafes all around, and we're kind of not really around anything at the moment. Yeah. So is yes. it like it's all black? They don't go for like a 
like a sweet milk thing. I suppose if you've got like boba and stuff floating around the edges, maybe you drink your coffee more black. Well, actually, the the coffees here are quite sweet, so you have to specifically ask for no sugar. Yeah. And it's quite, it's kind of funny is when when you do, they're kind of I don't know what the expression is, but it's either impressed or they think they find it funny. Yeah. So you you're, you're, you're ask, right. Yeah, Vietnamese coffee often has that thick, almost like condensed milk on the top. Yeah. Yes, and they'll be you'll be like. Um, I'll get a black coffee and they're kind of surprised by the fact that you're not going to have milk. Yeah. And then they ask if you want sugar and you know, most of the time they'll, they'll kind of smile that when you say no sugar, but you know, Vietnamese cuisine is like so sweet. Yeah. It's there's sugar in everything. Like the savory dishes are, are so sweet. Like yeah. everything is so sweet. They yeah. love sugar. It's interesting. And that just actually weirdly made me wonder how you're going with language. Because you were saying like, oh, when you ask for it with no sugar, how are you finding, you know, the English? <laughs> you can't write oh, that's that. That's unfortunate. That's amazing. That's unfortunate. The, the English. I do know how to speak. I've done it before. And yeah. I would prefer if we could move on with this. You're pretty good at it. Yeah. Uh, the English uh, adoption there and your ability to communicate with others. Um, if, yeah, this is... This is kind of a something that is a it, it's 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 not tricky in the sense that like so Vietnam every every everyone kind of speaks English so it's actually very easy. The tricky part is that you feel like an absolute dick right. because I'm constantly I have made no attempt to learn the language. I've learnt hello and I've learnt thank you. And I'm, I kind of don't use them because I'm not super confident with my pronunciation. So every now and then I'll, I'll say konga, which okay. is thank you in Vietnamese. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I'm, that's only if I've said thank you already in English, in English. Do you, um, do you have an internal like dialogue, I suppose, internal monologue? wondering if it feels tokenistic to make that gesture are you sort of like as part of you just going like look who am i fooling here yes let me just be the asshole who only knows how to speak english and speak english that's exactly that's exactly how i feel i'm just like they don't they don't need me to say this like may, maybe it's like the oh it's, you know it's made some sort of effort but at the end of the day i'm just a, i'm just some dickhead that's come to your country and just demanded that we speak my language that's how i really feel <laughs> yeah and, and there it, should be no sugar in my food or coffee yeah well that's why i would never complain about getting a wrong order yeah you know because you know who am i yeah but you do feel you do feel like uh you do you don't feel great about it you know just and we've done it everywhere you know Korea was a little bit more difficult. Less people spoke English. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm just, con- I just, yeah, I'm reflecting on it a bit. <laughs> this will not surprise you at all. Um, but to, to look back a decade or more now to my overseas jaunt in 2012, where I went away for close to three months or a little bit over from memory to like 19 different countries. Uh, did Japan, did a bunch of Europe, did Canada, including some um, some places where English was probably less um, prevalent. Um, I was very prepared. You will not be surprised. And in advance, mm. knowing, because we pre-planned all of it. So we knew when and where we were going to be in these countries. Um, and knowing that, I made up a binder 
um, oh which God. had just key info for all of the places that we visited. Like, what's the accommodation in this place? How do I get there from the airport? Because like the last thing you want to do after an international flight is be like, okay, what's the fucking bus I need to take? How do I get there? So I just did all that planning in advance and I wrote it all down on, on the piece of paper for each of these ones. And with each of those places, I included like a little short list of language. So I had the hellos, the goodbyes, the thank yous, the where's the bathroom in the maybe 12 different languages that we were going to encounter for each of those places. And yeah. I did genuinely make the effort to use it when I was there. And I think depending on the culture, it gets received in different ways. Because some people are like, oh, look at you. Like, you're really giving it a go. That's nice. And others yeah. are just like, speak directly back to you in English once you've started. It's like, yeah. sorry, what do you want? <laughs> and you're like, okay, yes. I don't have to speak Swedish. Okay, fair enough. That is so adorable that you did that. Yeah, that was that was very early 20s me of me. <laughs> um, uh, I had another thought. And it might be well, let's gone. save it for after the intro because the music has just started. Welcome to Deep Thought, everybody. Thank you for joining us here on this internet podcast. You've downloaded it in a series of tubes onto your player. And now you're listening to an audio file, which is hopefully going to bring you excitement, entertainment and happiness. So thank you for being here. And thank you to my friend, Michael. Hey. Sitting there in Vietnam still. And my name's Nick. Hello. Welcome. And it is a pleasure to be with you. Love it. Love it. What's been going on? You got some got some yarns for me? Got some yarns for you. Let me think. Do I got some yarns for you? I had some friends over from Australia last weekend, which was really nice. Dave and Alice came over. Mm-hmm. So they crashed with us, tested out the inflatable bed that you and Lauren will be sleeping on when you come by. Okay. Inflatable? Um, like not a water bed? No, inflatable mattress. Yeah. Inflatable mattress. Yeah. Okay. They said quite comfortable. Comfy. No, they said okay. it was quite comfortable. Um, yeah, they well, said they Michael would say this. otherwise. Well, <laughs> did they really? Yeah. <laughs> they said he'll be fine with this. This will actually be great lower back support because they know that you struggle with that sometimes. You prefer well, a firmer okay. mattress. Well, thanks, David Alice. <laughs> no, so that was very nice. Uh, got to do some, some, you know, showing around town, a bit of a day trip, you know, had some nice sort of clear sunny winter weather nothing like a sunny winter's day particularly after it's been gray for a while can i just push back on that a little um i hate a sunny winter's day okay i like i like my weather like i (laughs) like i like (laughs) there's no there's no there's no there's no version of that setup that it doesn't end in some sort of racism or misogyny (laughs) you know I like my dart like I like my dart. I like my um, winter's days like I like my women. Enthusiastic, uplifting, and worthy <laughs> of celebration. There you go. There you yeah. go. No, I, I like, I like my... With um, <laughs> With a big old pair of titties. <laughs> um, I like... I like it. I like, if it's hot... And if it's and if it's a sunny day, uh, if it's a summer's day, I like it to just to be the sun out, and that's what it is. And on the other end, I like a winter's day to just be cold and rainy. I don't like it when it's kind of mixed up when when it's cold, but the sun is shining like it's a summer's day. And I I really don't like it when it when it's when it's hot and it's raining. I just I like I like the weather. 
and I like genders just to stay in their lane. I just throw <laughs> that one in there. <laughs> so, so even when it's cold, but the sun's out, you feel somehow misled. Like, because a sunny winter's day can still be cold. You can still have three layers on and you, you don't believe in it. You want it to be overcast. I think it's more like, you know, when I wake up in the morning. Because, because I, as well, like a clear winter's day is often the coldest nights you're going to get, yes. right? So yes, that's, no if anything, cloud coverage. leaning into the, 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 the cold winter feels. I think it's like when I get up in the morning, I want to know immediately what the tone of the day is. So if it's overcast, I'm like, okay, I'm going to be miserable, but that's <laughs> okay. okay. I like being miserable. There's okay. a certain amount of satisfaction that I get out of wallowing in my own misery. This is not a huge surprise to people who know you. Yes. No surprises. Um, but if it's sunny, I'm, you know, okay, I'm going to be outside. I'm going to, it's, it's about how, it's about me, what my expectations are for the day. Okay. Yeah. So it's a, it's a, an early morning alert system. Do you feel like a day in which perhaps it started overcast and wintry and you're like, okay, I know what this day is and then clears up. Is that like a real stab in the back where you're like, you promised me. Yeah. I think, I think and I now it's trade sunny. Yes, that's. I feel betrayed by the weather more often than I should. <laughs> yeah, for an inanimate force, you know, beyond one's control. Yeah, you've and, got strong and, feelings. And, and just, uh, just to linger on this a touch more, the I mean, weather. The viewers are crying out for it. The, <laughs> the viewers. <laughs> um, We're recording the, this, aren't we? Yeah. No, I'm not. This is our fun. I haven't. I haven't in months. Um, there, there is no, uh, I feel like the weather used to be so much more accurate, like in terms of, uh, what you, if you pull up an app on your phone and you'd be like, okay, it's going to be sunny tomorrow. I don't, I just feel like that's completely out the window. You can't rely on, on apps anymore, maybe for the temperature just to get like a ballpark, but that's all, that's all the weather forecast is. It's just ballpark. Now, am I crazy or has it gone downhill? I, someone told me that the weather accuracy forecast, weather forecast accuracy has actually uh, went down during COVID because they had less planes in the sky and they get a lot of data from uh, data planes from in the planes. sky. They get yeah. weather data from planes. Yeah, like the amount of co- even commercial airplanes in the sky, they it all kind of contributes to data. Was this Ben Shapiro? Um, uh, I think it might have been a, an affiliate. Um <laughs> Alex Jones no, has been talking about this for years. No, I, no, I think I mean that's not that's not like conspiratorial. I actually heard this from a from a journalist. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm named, not I, named I, Alex Jones. I'm I'm willing <laughs> I'm willing to to uh, admit that I have not heard this before and that it may well be true. But it does sound surprising to me that well, call COVID, if you, uh, if you which know. did not really shutter plane flights for more than a year is still being pointed to as a disruption of the weather data today that's well i kind of added that last bit no so i just meant that for just covid but does it feel right okay i'm a bit i'm 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 big on um facts that feel right rather than are right (laughs) yes otherwise known as not facts (laughs) (laughs) if it feels true it is true that's always been my motto that's what colbert said yeah (laughs) But um, but uh, does it doesn't it feel right that the weather accuracy is is uh, down? 
I would say that locally here, my experience of what they predict and what happens is pretty consistent. But I think that climate and, and weather is so geographically specific that it could be the case that certain places have become more variable lately and less easily predicted. And I think, you know, climate change is clearly fucking with a whole bunch of that stuff. But in my in my Christchurch experience, day to day, I tend to get what they put on the tin. Okay. Yeah. Well, well done on sneaking in your leftist agenda into <laughs> what I just hoped would be just a chit chat. Look, I'm dropping a bombshell here. I don't think Alex Jones is a great journalist, and I'm just gonna <laughs> I'm gonna stick by that. Stick by that. Hot take. Hot take. Um, you are wearing a watch. Is that what I'm seeing on that wrist there? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, don't get too excited. But um, Lauren gave me her Fitbit. Well, oh. let me borrow it. Um, so I know it's not what you wanted me to get. I'm disappointed it's something. in her and I'm disappointed in you. Um, but, you know, I've just actually put it on for the first time today. Okay, so this is new. So, and I've done, do you want to know how? I've done 876 steps. Okay. I, I was about to be disappointed. And my heart rate's at about like... 170. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're podcasting and your heart rate is not in level four, you're you're not getting a good workout. Yeah, oh, <laughs> I'm running on pure adrenaline every time we record here. Yeah, 170 seated and podcasting—that's pretty normal. Yeah, that's pretty normal. That's pretty good. <laughs> uh, you got any um, yeah. more travel tales for me? Uh, what have I got? Um, not apes. Uh, almost right. stepped on a snake the other day. Oh yeah, same old. Um, we got we got tattoo. Got a got a couple of tats. You did get tats. A pretty. Um, it was a, it was a cool cool artist, but the hygiene was uh, a little bit questionable. Wanting. Yeah, yeah. Saw a, saw a couple of. It's it's always a little bit unnerving when you're you're getting um, stabbed with ink, yeah. uh, and you see cockroaches. Um, <laughs> scurrying in the same well they might be just there to get a tat as well so i mean maybe that's just other clientele (laughs) yeah but i mean so far so good it's been a couple of days um and where is it on your infection oh i got one on my arm can you see that oh yeah i can you got a snake i got a vietnamese snake and a i showed you the other one i don't need to do that did i show it to you well i think i saw anyway yeah a, a pic i couldn't i don't remember what it was of it was a picture anyway, of Charles Darwin. Picture of uh, Charles Darwin yeah. uh, kissing Joe Rogan, <laughs> which you've actually wanted for years. So it's nice That's... you found a tattoo artist who can deliver. Yeah, I mean, there's only so many times you can search for that in Pornhub. Um, <laughs> yeah, before you're like, I just have to make this for myself. This, this, I don't this think has to go. Happen. This has to go on my body. Yeah, the, that uh, scientist porn. Yeah. Um, well, if we are if we are done with travel, I feel like today might be the day we've we've talked about it for weeks, but I wonder if it is finally AA, AI time, and uh, yeah, there's there's bits and pieces here that we can go into. Well, can I can I lead us in with Ooh, uh, through the through the back door, okay. um, which That's I know it. you like, um, <laughs> um, and just to, just I wanted to pick your brain about something and i think it could potentially lead into this perfect um i just wanted to 
get some clarity from you on what's happening with the writers and actors strike in America. I know you're not necessarily part of that yes. guild or whatever, yeah. but um, just getting bits and pieces and hearing a little bit on, on podcasts. And I know that they're not allowed to release podcasts or whatever. So can you I tell me what... they are able now to be on podcasts as long as they're... It were recorded not, Like before. promoting... No, it's just like... Being there themselves, not using any industry mechanisms, not doing it for a marketing purpose through like a network or something. But if they're just like they they're friends with the guys and they go on and they've made a show already, I think you're able to talk about that stuff now. But gotcha. Yeah. All right. Well, can can you give me a little bit of an overview of what they're fighting for, and also answer these two questions which I have? Okay. Why? Uh. So can you tell me why it's not just like already elite privileged people who are overpaid getting you know getting paid even more and how is this different to because i know part of the argument is that they're they're wanting to secure rights uh when we as we step into the ai world um and want to want to secure some sort of um you know um salary or um guarantees workers guarantees workers rights while as we step into the ai world uh, how is this not different to, for example, the taxi drivers striking because of the introduction of Uber? Uh, those are two good questions, and I'll ask you to hold on to them if you can, because I, I might talk generally and risk forgetting the specifics of what you asked. Um, okay. And But I, I do want to touch on those two points. So for those who don't know, two months ago, the Writers Guild in America went on strike, and as of this past week, now the Actors Guild uh, has also gone on strike. So all of Hollywood is basically shut down now. Um, in the interim, the Directors Guild did sign a, a deal with the the studios and the streamers and everything, um, but they are the exception. And so now uh, it's basically um, a stalemate. I believe there's no active negotiations taking place at the moment. Um, and writers and actors are out on the picket lines protesting against the networks, the streamers, uh, to try and ensure some rights for the future. Um, I'm not a member of the Writers Guild of America or um, anything based over there. I'm a Writers Guild member here in New Zealand. We're not on strike um, currently, though they are sister bodies and uh, supportive of that action because ultimately these international streamers play in all markets and some of these decisions will affect um, Kiwis as well. So from the writer's perspective, the model of TV has evolved um, so drastically due to technology in the past decade or two that the uh, existing manner in which a writer could earn a living has changed. The historical golden age of TV, if you think back, you know, late 90s, early thousands, was a free-to-air model where a network would run ads in the middle of your show, make money after, um, you know, commissioning this content. And writers had a deal where they would be paid residuals and, and same for actors, residuals every time an episode of that show was rerun. Um, so that is how some writers and, and actors who worked on big shows from the 90s and 2000s, like everyone who was involved with Friends, gets millions of dollars of 
you know, in a check in the mail every year because that show, which is a huge hit, continues to be sold and aired around the world. And they have deals that give them money every single time that plays. So those people haven't fucking flown in, you know, commercial airliners since the 90s because they're all billionaires. Not literally, but very rich. Um, These days with streaming, the model is completely changed. Streaming typically doesn't have ads. So the way that the uh, deals were struck were instead of getting residuals every time it played, they would pay the individual participants or creators more up front. And that was it. You got one lump sum and then that was all you were paid. So a show like Squid Game, which would go on and become an international sensation and get billions and billions of people, you know, minutes watched would generate no further income for anyone involved. They would be paid their flat fee and that would be it. So a a company could go out and, you know, play play that for millions of people, get new signups or people joining their service and never have to pay another cent to the creators. Mm. So that removed a source of income for the creative side of things. The other thing that's happened in in parallel with that is that shows that used to be full-time careers, you know, 24 episode seasons, think back to The Office or even Parks and Rec and stuff, those staffs would be working nine, 10 months a year and they would be shooting and writing and and like the factory line of it would would keep those people employed all the way through. Um, So you could get one job and then keep that one job and that would be your job and you could live off it. These days, series... Uh, shorter typically you get your six episode season or your eight episode season that might employ you for two or three months but then after that you've got no income coming in and so writers are having to look for two or three shows a year if you want to keep (laughs) a roof over your head so that financial model has changed and you know there's a whole bunch of other complaints that the writers guilds have but a lot of the the big picture thinking here is that on those bigger shows where you're working for nine months a year, those writers would have opportunities to see all parts of the TV production process. So they would get to be on set and see how actually filming something works. They would get to see edits. They would get to be, you know, effectively trained in the ways of how to be a showrunner so that in the future, if they had a show of their own, they could bring those skills to bear. And one of the big complaints that the WGA is bringing is that the loss of all these rooms and these longer series is actually hamstrung the future of the industry by removing the opportunity for writers in the future to learn the skills they need to be creating the shows of tomorrow. So there's all of that kind of context Mm -hmm. there, but the the long and short of it is that financially the model has changed so much that people cannot survive on it anymore. So that's, that's big picture there. The SAG side of things is different but somewhat aligned. As I said, there's things like residuals, which are sort of a common thread here. They don't get money from streaming the way that they used to. But then there's whole other things. Like I saw one of the um, issues that the SAG people wanted to to negotiate on was, uh, what would you call like background artists, like extras effectively, wouldn't these days being offered maybe 180 bucks, getting their likeness scanned and then being able to be used as like a crowd like oh. source like copy paste cgi person in the back of scenes ad infinitum with no further compensation so you like so literally people, rep- 
go ahead. People were signing away their rights, even back because uh, my understanding with that was that you know they wanted Meryl Streep's likeness, like so, a big name, mm-hmm. to then replicate it. But you're saying that even background actress uh, actors, people basically no ones um, are also being replicated in that in that way. Yeah, I think if you're a Meryl Streep, you've got much more control over how and where your likeness could be used if you wanted to. No one's going to go around mm. and just get her to sign a piece of paper and give up her likeness. I think that mm. is a very real fear for the future. You know, you can look at Star Wars movies and see they're already putting the digital likeness of young people back on, on screen or like de-aging people. So that kind of thing is happening at like the top tier. But yeah, this is specifically background artists were being paid like $150 and then their job is deleted because then you never need to pay a background artist to be there on set anymore. If you can just copy and paste people out of this bank of scanned images and stick them there as you need. That's so interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a cheap way to to operate. That's what I would do if I was... uh... Yeah, you know, money-hungry kind of studio executive who doesn't yeah. want people to have a, a career. But also, then you're going to get things like you know, I don't, I don't know if it's the if this is the right thing, but the Willem scream where it's just like, you know, it's just going to be the same sound. Sa- thank you, uh, the same sound just coming up in in different movies. Yeah, uh, it's, it's true. You have this like familiar faces thing, where it's like I saw that guy make that same expression in the last Marvel movie, and now he's here in fucking Mission Impossible as well. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Yeah. Um, so, so that's the broad picture of it all. The AI stuff that's for and how that affects actors is different to the AI stuff and how it affects writers. But there is a similar underlying fear that it is taking the humanity out of the work and undermining the humans who bring their own creativity to it, right? So yes. it, now, now's a good time. Can you remind me your, your first question? So I guess when people have a loose understanding of why writers and actors are, are on strike, I guess the... Uh, the Joe Blow probably thinks that, you know, even writers, they're celebrity adjacent. Uh, They're the ones with the megaphones. Is this why we're hearing from them? They're already the elites. They're already paid a lot of money. I think most people feel that in Hollywood, if you're getting anything on TV, you're getting, you're making bank. So can why is that not true? It's not true because most people in that industry are not getting paid very much at all. Like it is, it is an understandable connection to make, right? Like the glamour or, or associated like halo effect of the top tier of Hollywood, right? Like the the movie stars and the big premieres and the the prestige TV shows, is a real thing, and you understand why people associate that with everyone at every stage of that that you know industry. Um, but it just isn't the case. Like most writers, as I said, if they were not getting a full year's job they would not have money to pay the rent like and and the tears of that career are very um uh well defined so there's a thing called like a staff writer which is basically the bottom rung of the american tv show writing room and that is the 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 very um lowest tier thing and barely gets your credit for um, your work and that kind of money can be nothing 
Um, whereas the further up you go, you'll actually see most writers credited in American shows as things like producers. Um, and they get a producer title, but they're not a producer in the way that you might think a producer is a producer. It's like a negotiated title that right. that gives them a higher pay bracket, like a co-executive producer or that kind of thing is probably just a writer. Um, so I don't know if you've ever noticed right. that watching the credits of anything, but but that's like a defined thing that, that the WGA would have negotiated at some point. Um, but but the truth is, like, like I said, um, a script will be paid once up front or you may i think as a staff writer be paid a salary but not paid for a script mm -hmm. it, it just really isn't <laughs> that much money um and you know that's that's talking about hollywood as well so here in new zealand like i could be paid uh like five grand i think for a script um Maybe that's a co-written script for like a half hour comedy. But if you've spent a month writing it, like, <laughs> or, you know, God knows how many hours, that's, that's not really a, a particularly impressive number, particularly once you get taxed your 25% yeah. on it. So if you want to take home three and a half grand for something that you've worked on for a month, you're, you're not really covering even your rent and how many fucking shows are around that you could even write on. So yeah, the, the, the long answer okay. is it's just not as much money as you think people are making. And what used to be the underlying, like the safety net of that, which is that, okay, I, I wrote one episode on this show and I got my one down payment, but it's a hit show and it's being pay played around the world and at least I'll get my residuals check. Well, that doesn't even exist. Because it, it, right. if it's on streaming, you won't get that again. Um, does that answer your question? It does. Yeah, I guess people are seeing, they'll see like Robert Downey Jr. and Emily Blunt, you know, boycotting a premiere or whatever. And that will make headlines and it's easy to associate that. But I guess they're doing it in solidarity. But it's easier to associate that, that stance in yeah. solidarity with... Uh, you know, a genuine, a genuine cause. And, and, and I should say as well, like the lowest, like the, the, the true, like working actor thing, not just a writer, the working actor life is God awful too. Like people could be like a guest actor on a sitcom or, you know, on an SVU or they get a recurring role in a cable series or something like that. And uh, there was a story that came out, like people have been talking about this openly to try and counter some of this narrative because as you you say like a lot of people would be like oh these fucking rich hollywood elites why do they want more money like there was a story that i just read and i forget the writer's name who was homeless got a job as like a, a recurring guest star or something did a voiceover role um got a a guest star and like an svu or something like that like had the best professional year of his life and at the end of that year, he was still homeless because he wow. still didn't have any money in which to support, you know, just basic life. Um, so it can be really yeah. rough. It just occurred to me as well that, like, I mean, musicians have been complaining about the lack of... Um, yeah, the yeah, Spotify payments per royalty. stream, yeah. Yeah. So are they just not able to communicate that to the public or do they not have that um, that's kind of solidarity or that network in place 
for them to be able to um, collectively strike in the same way that writers and actors can? Uh, I don't, I'm not as familiar with the music industry side of things. I think there are music unions, right? There must be like a songwriters union or something like that. But I would imagine not as, it's not as essential to be part of that union or it's not as mandated. Like most Hollywood shows will be union shows where all of the crew members will be part of the, the Teamsters union and all of the writers will be writers union and all of the actors will have to be from SAG and that kind of thing. Like it, it's much more institutionalized. I I'm not sure, but I feel like because music can be done in your garage, edited on your laptop, put out in the world, there's less gatekeeping. There's less gatekeeping. You might not have as uniform a group that are part of that thing. Yeah. You um, can just make a Christmas album and just put it up on. Yeah. And get hundreds of listens. Yeah. Hundreds, if Um, not tens. Question two. Question two, with the AI, uh, with the, with, okay, so I'm a little bit sketchy on these details, but some, some of the concerns are that, that the writers specifically have, are that, um, they may be, um, uh, technologized out of a job by way of AI, mm-hmm. um, and studios may get AI to start writing scripts, blah, blah, blah. My question with that was, is that not just what's going to happen anyway and um is this not just kind of like the uber taxi thing where it's like hey well this is the way that the world is moving you know ai is you can't put the genie back in the bottle it's out there now why is why is why is that uh why is that a kind of a an issue that can't be resolved by writers themselves uh well i think the uber parallel is instructive because that has destroyed that industry <laughs> like that the tech in tech coming into the taxi market was good for consumers short term um terrible for existing taxi drivers and now we're seeing it you sort of really push into this gig economy model which is not very sustainable um and uh, I, I think you will inevitably see the quality of the consumer experience decrease eventually. Right. You know, I think we've already seen the quality of, of you know, the consumer experience drop um, now that Uber and its similar um, brethren have, have taken over. Um, mm. the, the thing I think is that the writers, A, there's a creative aspect to it, and I think the best art will always come from humans. Um, so there is a philosophical belief there that, that we should be protecting the ability for humanity to create. Um, there's a financial thing here as well, where it's warning the studios that if you remove writers or, uh, perhaps actors in, in certain contexts as well from the, the process, you will ultimately be cutting, uh, you know, cutting your nose to spite your face because those great artists that will be then running shows or editing or directing or whatever who could have had a foot in the door with with lower level work now no longer get those opportunities and no longer enter the business and ultimately the the gradual decline of, of that industry will follow because you don't have anyone there who's 
passing the threshold that that ai is now fulfilling you know like mm. that you're replacing the the opportunities that would have gone to new people or to fresh voices with a machine and they're yeah. just gone um but do do the public care like i i mean i totally agree with that and um you know i i i love movies more than most people uh, and i like you know kind of creative and interesting independent movies but do the general would the general public care if a script to say was written by ai and it was you know it ticked all the boxes for them it had you know explosions it had a you know romance you know subplot whatever do you think the general public cares and are the studios running this kind of um cost benefit analysis where they're going okay if the public are going to buy this then yeah we'll do it but maybe the public will reject it and then that's just a cost uh, um, supply and demand thing isn't it it is but i think as you say the genie in the bottle thing becomes true in a way where if if we go through a decade where the studio ai writes every blockbuster then i don't know that you can then win back over an audience who's expectations mm-hmm. of that product have soured because yeah, it no longer feels real and, and and i think you should be particularly concerned as a you know an a24 freak and a you're not going to get your phantom threads from an ai right like that comes from a very human no. real place and and this sort of tangentially gets us in the direction of, of where i wanted to take the ai stuff um which is the the morality and legality of the content scraping of where it's learning how to do this by capitalizing on the existing works made by humans. Um, but before we get there, I do just want to, to repeat that if you are that film fan who likes your weirdo indies, I don't think that there is any AI tool currently available that is going to be able to deliver you something like that uh, because it comes from a brain that's experienced the world right it's it's not often those best movies are surprising or beautiful as a result of the unique perspective of one person or a group of creatives working in sync towards a goal that's not been strived for before um, mm. and i don't think that ai is is going to be able to deliver something like that even one where you say like if an ai can tick all the boxes i don't think an ai could tick the boxes in a way that would be wholly satisfying because it would be so formulaic or, or rudimentary yeah. that it couldn't satisfy in the same way it's like empty carbs yeah yeah well I, ironically i think that like there's there, there could be i could imagine like a time and a, at a place and an idea for that, just like as a one-off, like, oh, it'd be interesting to hear an AI perspective on this, like as a, as a concept movie, but like not as the, as the norm, you know, I, I heard a quote on a podcast um, saying that um, artists are highly sensitive people uh, trying to get the world to see the world as they do or something like that. Um, and I think that's, that is what art is. It's, 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 fundamentally comes from human experience um and it's an expression of how a human being with all of its flaws reports back on the world yeah um and i i agree like with ai it's just like okay if it's a series of numbers i mean you could make that argument that we are kind of an ai in a way 
but uh, I guess it doesn't maybe it wouldn't have all those imperfections that make the human experience so like relatable to other humans yeah I mean you can go into a chatbot and ask you ask it to tell you a like write you a Sherlock Holmes story where I'm the villain or, you know, write a superhero movie where um, Superman kisses Batman at the end or, you know, like, and it will spit that stuff out. These are all searches you've, you've all made. All searches I've made. Yeah. Um, but the, the end result is never like magical. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, mm. it's technologically impressive, but it doesn't move you. It doesn't move me at least. Um, and and yeah. I think you're right. There could be like an interesting experiment if you were like, hey, Michelle Gondry, here's a script entirely generated by AI. Do with it what, what you can. And, and what does that look like? I think that's conceptually interesting. But yeah. I don't think that that should be the the landscape of, of movie making. And bear in mind yes. that, that movie making is, is sort of in a perilous tightrope at the moment, just in terms of box office and people going out to the cinema so many movies this past year have underperformed because I think post COVID we hit this place where the desire to go out to the movies dropped when so many things were suddenly available at home. Instead, mm. these studios are now facing a, a real financial need to bring people to the cinema in order to make their, their investments pay off. And if you're risking that on like a computer generated algorithm, I think you're going to continue to see declines. So, yeah. So, I mean, it's been really cool to see all this Barbie Oppenheimer hype, which I just don't yeah, know where it's coming from. It's Barbenheimer is just kind of, they're feeding off each other. I don't understand it. I love it. But like, they seem to be like, okay, these are two highly anticipated movies that are completely on you know, other end, other ends of the spectrum. Yeah. Um, kind of competing but not competing together. I mean, it's just trying to drum up, you know, they're, they're both trying to reach the same goal, but they seem like they, uh, it, it seems like it's a net positive. Yeah. Well, I think there's been a concerted effort by both filmmakers who are incentivized to have people come out to the cinemas. Like, but Tom Cruise and, and, um, the director of Mission Impossible, whose name's escaping me at the moment, have been actively showing themselves with holding up tickets to Barbie and holding up tickets to Oppenheimer and like this communal effort of being like, come on, go to the movies, you know, like, isn't yeah, yeah, it great? Yeah. And then similarly, Greta Gerwig and, and Margaret yeah. Robbie have been Nolan. out with the um, photos holding the, you know, tickets to Mission Impossible and, and Oppenheimer yeah. and things. So that does feel like a, a top-down industry push of like mm. yes i suppose technically we're competing but also the bigger threat is looming here in the distance and if people won't come out then we have got problems um, yeah i mean that that's wouldn't that be so sad like i do fear that 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 in 20 like our kids won't be able to it, movies won't be a thing or they'll become obsolete or they'll just be um you know they kind of be, become like the drive-in Mm. where you can go to the drive-in if you really want, but it's a little bit out of town and, you know, the tickets Well, the drive-in in, in Adelaide finally closed, you know. Yeah. I think I saw a stat which said that in, it must be the US, maybe 5% of cinemas shut down permanently post-COVID. They just, they just went. Mm. And if, if the, you know, Warner Brothers famously pissed off Nolan by saying that all of their movies were going to be on streaming platforms that year of COVID, 
um, which is why he left and went to Universal. Um, but putting all that stuff there direct on HBO Max, um, I think did serious damage, reputational damage to the idea of like, oh, this is just a movie. I can see it at home versus yeah. this is a movie. I need to see it on a big screen. So yeah. we, we might be seeing a continued decline. Oh, man. This is about one of the things I really miss after, like, traveling for a month and a bit. It's, like, movies. We're going to Malaysia next week, and oh, yeah. we're going to get tickets to Oppenheimer and Barbie. Yeah, nice. And see it in Kuala Lumpur. Awesome. Very excited. Yeah. Just to now redirect into that that second side of this, which is the, the I guess, the copyright and legality side of it. Uh, there's a bunch of different stories about this now you know we've been sitting on this topic for a while but the the idea that for instance large language models have been scraping the internet getting all this content off of twitter or of reddit and and using that to to train its its you know writing style and models um has raised questions about the rights to that data yeah you know twitter shut down a lot of that stuff because elon claimed that models were being scraped, AP, um, Reddit changed its APIs and is having this fit about not letting third parties use their data because if you want all of our stuff, you should pay for it, blah, blah, blah. That seems like the horse is already bolted, but, you know, it is what it is. The more interesting one now is starting to see some pushback against that. So I've got two case studies here and I'd love to know your thoughts on it. Um, it one... I don't know if you saw this article, but let me just read it. It's from The Verge. I'll put the link in the chapter title. Sarah Silverman is suing OpenAI and Meta for copyright infringement. Did you see this? No. Okay, here we go. Comedian and author Sarah Silverman, as well as other authors, are suing OpenAI and Meta each in a U.S. district court over dual claims of copyright infringement. The suit alleges, among other things, that OpenAI's ChatGPT and Meta's Llama, which is the equivalent, was trained on illegally acquired data sets containing their works, which they said were acquired from a shadow library of websites like Bibliotech, Library Genesis, and others, noting the books are available in bulk via torrent systems. Uh, in the OpenAI suit, the trio offers exhibits showing that when prompted, ChatGPT will summarize their books, infringing on their copyrights. Silverman's book Bedwetter is the first book shown being summarized by ChatGPT in the exhibits. The claim says the chatbot never bothered to reproduce any of the copyright management information that the plaintiffs include with their published works. Uh, in both can claims... You can you summarize in layman's terms what, what she's complaining about because I'm finding it hard to follow? Sure. So basically, Sarah Silverman is saying, hey, what's my book about when you type in this a chat GPT? And chat GPT says, hey, her, her book Bedwetter is about this. It talks about um, this thing, it quote this, quote that, quote this, and summarizes a work of art, you know, a copyrighted mm -hmm. work of art. In order for chat GPT to know what the contents of its book is, it has to have scanned or scraped that data oh. either from like a torrented file or from a, a library website and use that to generate that information because it, it can't just make this up out of nowhere. In order to know what it is, it had to have accessed this thing, incorporated it into its brain so it can now reproduce it. And Sarah Silverman is saying, hey, this is my copyrighted work. I didn't say that you could go scan my book and tell people, you know, chapter three is about this. You have infringed on my copyright. Interesting. Okay. And and there are multiple authors making this similar um, claim. So 
talk to me here about your perception of the rights of an artist when it comes to a copyright and whether or not you think a, an AI like this should be able to access kind of uh, works like that. Because um, I think it's an interesting area and legally undecided. Un this is so new that I don't think there's been case law about whether it's a breach of copyright. I'm not sure if I've got heap, heaps to say on it because I'm kind of just learning about it. But it's it's interesting that like Silverman's, it, to me, it's kind of like, hey, uh, what's this about? And then it will it will say, oh, well, it's about this. And it's like, well, how do you know that? Um, I, I don't have like strong opinions on this, Nick, i got to say. It's interesting to me that it's Sarah Silverman. Like, I like that it's her. It does seem sort of um, the kind of stand that she would take to protect her rights. But um Okay, I mean, I think that's that's fair to say that it, there's not a great deal to add there. Um, but perhaps here's a second angle, um, which was discussed a month or two ago, which was the Drake AI song. Did you hear about that? No. This was back in April. Um, Drake and The Weeknd AI song pulled from Spotify and Apple. A song that uses artificial intelligence to clone the voices of Drake and The Weeknd is being removed from streaming services. It follows stinging criticism from the publisher's Universal Music Group, which said the song violated copyright law. Um, the music publisher said platforms had a legal and ethical responsibility to prevent the use of services harming artists. The track simulates Drake and The Weeknd trading verses about a pop star and actress, Selena Gomez, who previously dated The Weeknd. The creator, known as At Ghostwriter, claims the song was created by software trained on the musicians' voices. After being posted on a number of platforms, the track went viral on the weekend. A link to the original version of the song on YouTube now says the video is no longer available due to a copyright claim by Universal Music Group. On Spotify, it was streamed 629,433 times before it was pulled at Spotify's lowest royalty rate of $0.003 per stream. That means it earned about $1,800. Um, <laughs> the training of generative AI using our artist's music, this is Universal Music Group, as well as the availability of infringing content created with generative AI on digital service providers begs the question as to which side of history all stakeholders, all stakeholders in the music ecosystem want to be on, the side of artists, fans, and human creative expression, or on the side of deep fakes, fraud, and denying artists their due compensation. Um, Interesting. So this is a deep faked voice, effectively. It has been trained on the music of Drake and The Weeknd, fed into the system, and then generated a brand new track not using anything that existed, but from scratch, and yet mimicking the voice of these artists and the, the musical and tonal touch points, and then it was released online. Is that copyright infringement, Michael? God, I guess so. I don't know. This, this whole thing is just, I just feel very... I, I hate the future, Nick. I'll just say that. I hate Wow, this is I new from you. I know, I know we're in it. But you're just, in, you're in. Get off my lawn territory now. As a species, we're kind of going into this uncharted territory with social media and now AI. And I thought I was here for it, and I, I'm not. I'm okay. not here for it. It's too scary. It's too complicated. <laughs> I don't understand what's going on, but I, I don't like it. Um, with regards to your actual question, um, I, I don't know. It's um, 
I guess I guess it's kind of the same thing with the with the with the actors thing that we're talking about the likeness of. I mean, your likeness is who you are. It makes sense that that should be yours. Um, and if if someone's intentionally trying to sound exactly like you, then like that's a that seems to me like they're taking your essence. I mean, I'm trying to trying to marry this up with the other thought that I'm having is that you know bands if you're a band starting out, you know you kind of want to sound like you know Radiohead or the Smashing Pumpkins, like. You, you're trying to sound like them. There's like an artistic pursuit there where you're never quite going to, you're never quite going to achieve it. Like if someone wants to sound like um, Tom York, sorry to, I was trying to think of not a Radiohead analogy <laughs> here, and I was like, that's all I've got. Yeah. Um, it, you know, you start out as a band. You want to sound like Blur. You, you want to sound like. You want to sound like. Let's uh, let's say that. Then you know, there's like some sort of like, oh, you can, you might be able to say, um. They're just trying to sound like Blur, but it's not. It's not a Blur's never going to give a shit about some some eighteen year old, you know, trying to sound like Damon Albarn. Well, every but, musician has their influences, right? Exactly, and you have to have those as as an artist. But like blatantly ripping off, and, and I guess the issue there is like the ex- the preciseness of how how close AI can can get. And it's basically but using data. I guess it's like a, it's a it's exactly a program that's kind of feels like cheating, but also feels like robbing as well. Yeah, and if it's at the point where you are selling it or making money from it, and the interest in that product is due to the the likeness or the, the closeness to to what you're modeling on you know like if if you're trading in the in the similarities on or, or branding it as drake like then then you've crossed a line because the the other area there i think is like cover bands right like how many sort of beatles cover bands can you find in like a dingy pub somewhere doing probably fewer these days but you know like that for, for decades there've been yeah. bands who are not writing their own music but go around for a corporate gig or whatever to give the music that you couldn't get from the original artist, right? Like, yes. so people have, have traded on other people's things, but they've never been like the you know the fake five have never or fake fake four, I suppose Fab Four have never um, gone and be like, and now here's one that we did. <laughs> like, this is our yeah, Beatles ish yeah. song, you know? It's yeah. all playing the hits and presumably paying some form of licensing for it. Yeah. I guess the other analogy that you can make here, uh, which is one that is, you know, close to um, home for me at the moment, is like a a designer knockoff sure. of a of a, a a handbag or a or a or a shirt. Um, I guess the the difference there is that it's it doesn't have mass appeal, like in the sense that like you could you know, owning a Gucci handbag. Uh, do they do handbags? Yeah, Louis Vuitton handbag. Yeah, uh, the the kind of the the point of of owning something that's so designer is not its functionality. It is the brand. It's the fact that it is real. Yeah, and I guess with music, you don't you don't uh, experience um, music in the same way that you experience a, a, like a physical object. True. You experience. You can just listen to it, and if it makes you feel the way 
um, it's in, it's in, it's internal and it's personal. If it gives you that same feeling, then it, it's doing its job. Yeah. And I guess that's that's where uh, it becomes tricky for for people who are being ripped off. That's a really interesting point. Yeah. Yeah. Well made. Um, if it does the thing, then it works, right? Then it becomes valid in a way that, like, the fake market Gucci handbag is not, because the thing that the Gucci handbag is is it's a signal to an other association people. of owning the thing, right? No one's yes. using it because the bag holds the bag; they're using it because it is from Gucci, and this demonstrates a you know a degree of wealth or sophistication. To, to other people. To other people. Um, yeah. Mm. So, yeah, the fact that it's... That the AI music could... Could engender that response to a listener who may not know it's AI and still pull those triggers is very interesting. And I think that's part of the reason that this one did have success because it, it crossed a uh, perceptual barrier to being close enough or real enough or impressive enough mm. that people were like... Holy shit! This is this could be a Drake song. Yeah, but it isn't. If I was Drake yeah. in the weekend, what I would do is record a real version of the AI song, oh, and fun. then just claim it <laughs> and tell the original AI guy that well, this is my song. So <laughs> this is. But were now. people were people listening? Were people streaming that song because they knew the story behind it? They knew it was AI generated, or were they playing it because it was they liked the song? Uh, I'm sure a bit of both. I'm sure originally it was it was a this is not real, but look how close it is, mm-hmm. or look how you know effective it is. Um, but then I assume at some point someone clicked on it because they were linked it without knowing. I'm like, oh yeah, this is the song. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Oh, I'll have to check it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, links in the description. Yeah. Never been a fan of never been a fan of Drake, but maybe maybe t- tonight's the night. <laughs> maybe. Um, any other sort of stray AI thoughts or questions? Um, it, it's obviously here to stay, as you, as you said, like every major tech company is, has integrated it. Um, any, any predictions or fears for where it's going? My prediction, which is uh, a pretty, pretty hot one, Nick, mm-hmm. is that things are going to escalate okay. and move forward. Um, and it's going to get scarier and scarier. Mm. with every passing week and you heard you heard that you here, heard first. here first yeah yeah get off my lawn mm. well if you've enjoyed this then that's very kind of you I, I can't wait to tell you more about our podcast and its various forms of interaction there's our website deepfort.podbean.com there's our facebook page facebook.com slash deepfort our instagram our soundcloud our spotify if you want to listen there make sure you hit those five stars or or similar because every star counts as they say in hollywood Um, and of course send us an email with deepfort at gmail.com and we'd be delighted to reply um i feel like i have talked so much uh I feel like you've talked not enough, but what I'd really like to hear is Lauren talking. Does yep. she, is she ready? To, I think she's to, ready. She's to spill. Between uh, between you, me and the, the butler, I think she's a little bit nervous, to be honest. But oh. She's been practicing all morning. <laughs> um, yeah, no, she's, uh, she's been home. It's, it's been quite unnerving because um, <laughs> we'll be, 
while she gets her ass we, over here. She'll, yeah, yeah. Um, she'll be like, we'll be out to dinner and I'll just do something innocuous to me. But then she'll be like, oh, that's one. And then open up her phone. This is This is Nick. You know Nick. Hello, Lauren. <laughs> Welcome. Join the pod. How are you doing? Looking radiant. Oh, thank you. Got the tan on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Vietnam's treating you well. I was saying to Michael, he looks sweaty and sort of bloated. So it's nice to know that's just a him problem and oh. it's not affecting everyone. <laughs> yeah, it was good that you um, you kind of cut out just as you said, I think bloated. <laughs> oh, he's gone. I'm having a bit of lag here. Oh, no. No, that was just me fucking with you. Did it look good? <laughs> oh, okay. That's funny. That's a, it's a um, funny joke to, to play, especially when there are, there is genuine lag problems. <laughs> You've got to strike while the iron's hot. Um, welcome to the podcast, Lauren. I'm so delighted to have you here. And I have been frothing with excitement. I was looking for the, for the oh, right no, word. Oh, no, don't hype that wasn't, too much. <laughs> that wasn't where I wanted to end up, but we, we've, we've, don't say frothing we've ended up there anyway. with excitement to my girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you have been traveling alongside Michael for f- five weeks now. How long has it been? Mm-hmm. Yeah, five, six. Five, six, yeah. I First, I need to apologize on behalf of men everywhere. Um, and second, <laughs> I cannot wait to hear how this experience has been. So please, um, the floor is yours. What has it been like? So, wait, should we give a little <sighs> bit of an introduction to what this is? Because I don't know if we have. So... Uh, I'll I'll do it because I'll just mansplain it for Lauren. Thanks. And then I'll I'll let That's her... one of them. I'll just check that out. <laughs> <laughs> so Lauren's been you've been traveling for five to six weeks now and um uh, you know, you learn a lot about your partner. We haven't lived together. Um we've we've kind of gone interstate together, but we've kind of thrown ourselves around the deep end. Mm-hmm. And uh Lauren has started making a list of things that she previously did not know about me. Mm. Uh and um things that she's learnt. So yeah, I haven't heard these either. So this this could be the end of our relationship and the podcast, quite frankly. But Wow. Uh throwing me under the bus as well. Okay, great. <laughs> Are you going to sing the jingle? Oh, yeah. Oh. I recorded it. She made a jingle. I recorded it. Uh-huh. Uh, Are you going to send so it? Wait, no. This is the main. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll send this to you. Yeah. But this is the, uh, this is the jingle. Okay. I knew things that I learned about Michael. To break you. Is that good? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. All right. Um, also, I just want to preface this. I'm... Traveling with Michael is really great, so I'm not, I'm not trying to like just <laughs> shit on him or anything like that. It's it's kind of telling that you had to say that up front because it does not bode well for the quality of of <laughs> of his uh, behavior. But but that's very sweet of yeah. you. Oh well, yeah, and there's certain things I, I probably won't say out to an audience, um, but we, he knows what they are as well. Audience is very <laughs> audience is very generous for this. <laughs> Podcast. Okay, so the first one is I am not just traveling with Michael Zubrecki. Mm-hmm. I am also traveling with the 27 other personalities that he has. <laughs> and they are, it's not just like moodiness, it's, um, it's 
it's from all parts of the world. So there's a lot of voices that come out every now and then. Um, so uh-huh. it could be French. There was a uh-huh. big French moment in Japan oh. that went oh. on for probably a good hour. Um, <laughs> would not stop. <laughs> can I just get a, can I get a little the taste of the, uh, the French? Yeah. I'll do the croissant. Um, oh, was a French? I need, I need to remember what a French. I need to be in the zone. Croissant, croissant. Um, oh. uh, I can't do it. Oh, I need to be in the zone, oh. man. Like this is this is what I mean. Like uh, it's not me. I can't just activate this personality. This personality activates itself. Okay. Worrying. Okay. <laughs> a lot of British. A lot of British though as well. Absolutely. Um. So there's to a politician. Be clear, is he doing politician? this to other people, or is he doing it just to you? Oh, people can hear him absolutely, but he hasn't. He hasn't trialed it out where he pretends to be one of his personalities to someone else. Just me. I I just get the full bit like brunt of it. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's been interesting. And if he wants to go on his tangent, you just gotta let him. Um, mm-hmm. But that kind of leads into the second one where I kind of learned that I think. Michael always really wanted to be a theatre kid, but he probably um, wasn't able to go down that track or or something like that because Mm. what Michael will do is if he wants to run through a bit, um, it can be at the worst timing as well. Maybe we're all really tired. (laughs) (laughs) What's an example of Oh, like we're out to dinner the other night and you just went on this tangent. I can't even remember what it was. And you were just like, I don't know, you're just saying, putting in a scene together. Like he'll go into a scene and you just have to let it run itself out. And I've kind of just sort of blocked it out and maybe don't listen to you. I I want you to join in on the bit. I think that's what it was. I do at times, do. but it can just be at the worst time as well. So I Particularly think Particularly if you're like my... hangry and you're like, I just need to eat this fur, please, uh, please just. I'm just waiting for the food to arrive and then he's <laughs> just got a whole monologue going. Put Daniel Plainview away. We've got soup to have. <laughs> oh, there's definitely uh, been some Plainview. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that kind of, it's a bit of both, but I think you really are a theatre kid at heart. That's so offensive. Um, <laughs> I so could see it. And I I think you should do some improv classes or something. I think you'd be good at theater it. Theatre kids are the worst people. We all know that. Well, I mean, now, to be honest, you're Don't old you enough that you'd be like a theatre young adult or, you know, middle-aged man. No, the only thing worse <laughs> than a theatre kid is a theatre adult. Yeah. Well, this is the only option you have left. <laughs> You've quit your job. I'm saying this is a good time for a creative redirection. Maybe. Yeah. And, and on the back of what we've just discussed today. Yeah. I'll, I'll jump into acting. Yeah. Which is <laughs> clearly going from strength to strength. Scan your face, pay the $150, yeah. get some residuals. Yeah. <laughs> Invest it. Yeah. Okay. Next one, which is kind Please. of a nice one. Um, oh, thank God. Michael is by far the most romantic person I've ever met. I know it sounds like really, no way, but sometimes it's like, can we just get on with things? What? Like, I don't know. If you give this boy a sunset or a view of the ocean, a nice drink, some nice music, he Uh just gets this look in his eye and he's just like, 
<laughs> this is the most embarrassing one. I, you said it was the nicest one, and this oh, is what I said. It is nice, but I am definitely not at the same level as you when it comes to romantic. And it's a really nice quality of yours, but it's exhausting. It's it's a lot. <laughs> I guess it is a lot of pressure. I guess just just to to um, whittle away on that that one a little bit. Um, I guess being does that surprise you first of all nick so what are we talking about here like you're out on the beach and there's a beautiful sunset and michael turns to you and says wow you know the light and the oh, sky really do makes that. you yep. look like the most beautiful angel like is it taking like, no he'll just like look stuff? at me yeah, he'll he'll see it. He'll see the atmosphere. If, if, if the atmosphere is good, if it's uh-huh. really ticking his boxes, he'll give uh-huh. me a little touch, and he'll be like, mm-hmm. "Oh, isn't this yes. nice? Oh, God. I love you." <laughs> oh, cute! All oh, of this, this is the hard shell one. that you built up for ten years. <laughs> so the truth uh-huh. is coming out. Cut this out. <laughs> Cut this out. Edit okay. this out. Sorry, I'll, I'll edit. <laughs> this is garbage. <laughs> Um, I guess it does put, to be real, I guess it does put a certain amount of because pre- I'm big on moments, and I think we had like kind of an argument a few weeks ago. Not a not really an argument, but mm. like there was a, a point where I wanted to I wanted to make moment a moment out of a thing. I was like, this should be a moment, and I guess it puts a little bit of pressure on the other person who isn't necessarily there with you to kind of meet you there in this moment that you've constructed in your head because you've watched too many movies sure so you're feeling almost like the cinematic uh worth of this of this setting where you're like we are you know running past the canal and like we're going to get to the bar and like the sun's setting and i look at you and you look at me it's like we can catch that tuk-tuk and then you're just like this let's be in this and you're like i'm exhausted i just want to get on the bus can we please just Yes, that's exact. That's a pretty good summation. <laughs> okay, nailed it. <laughs> so it comes back again to you being a theatre kid, where you're seeing the drama in the <laughs> scene. <laughs> oh boy! I think you think I. I think you think you're on the Truman Show or something like that. Like it doesn't. <laughs> doesn't we've all doesn't thought everybody. that we're on the Truman Show. Doesn't yeah. everybody? Yes. And does that make you a narcissist? Probably, but that's okay. Maybe. If everyone's yeah. a narcissist. Okay. Maybe this is a bit of a vent. Um, oh God. No, no. You've, you've little, prefaced it a with a very thing. nice one, so I think it's okay. <laughs> so um, a little bit about Michael, which I already knew, is he's kind of a bit of an A-type. Like he likes to have his things in his pla- in its place. He likes everything to be kind of organised. He's, you know, and I really like that. You're a clean boy. You you like things neat and tidy and all that, which I really appreciate and it is good to travel with. But he is mm. the most rogue person I've met with a toothpaste um, <laughs> thing. Like, I don't know what wow. you're doing with it, but you are just like brutalizing the poor thing. And I just don't think that's right. Can and you it doesn't explain fit your personality. You like he will just like. So with, I the, like- with, the, with a tube of toothpaste, mm. specific, this is your gripe oh. with how I treat a toothpaste tube. Yeah, I just didn't think that was in you. What and do I do? You like double-handed or something. Like, <laughs> double-handed? <and> just- <laughs> For the record, I don't. And just all it just like looks this like way? Or just, just like, like squirt in a big double-hand. Yeah. <laughs> it's like 
this. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> I think, and it's upsetting to me. I, sque- I squeeze from the middle, okay? I squeeze from the middle. Yeah, well, you've got to do the pepper grinder. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it is. Just be more gentle. Like, treat with respect. Um, that's one thing. Yeah, I guess I guess I don't. You know how people Lauren really likes to squeeze the the toothpaste from the from the top, you know, and get it all the way down. I don't think that's necessary. I think you can squeeze from the middle, and then when it gets to the dregs, then you squeeze from the top. You mean by top? You mean bottom? You mean the furthest end from the cap? Yes. Yeah. So you. That's how I do it. Yeah. You want to squeeze, Lauren? You squeeze from the from the butt up. And Michael, you're 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 tickling around the the tummy, and Lauren, this is not helping. Is, <laughs> yeah. Your concern is that you're going into the middle when you should be coming from from the end and and, and squeezing down. Is that correct? I'm coming from the coming from the middle, and I should be in the butt. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's just what are we talking not, about? Here? It's just not. <laughs> It doesn't suit your personality or something like that. It's like it's it's a bit shocking. Um, it's it's a little thing, but it's quite shocking to me. Okay, knowing you, can I reveal right, a and the last terrible yeah. truth here live on the podcast? Oh, oh gosh, I for many years have squeezed the toothpaste from the middle. Oh, and I'm yes. ashamed. I'm ashamed to admit it, but it's true. But when we hit that one third remaining, I have a special uh, bulldog clip that lives in the bathroom drawer, and I'll wind that tight, and I will bulldog clip on the end so it doesn't unwind. You're not losing progress with this tube, and we will continue to to wind that tube up and and reclip the bulldog clip and maintain a perfectly full, you know, squeezable nugget until that is completely finished. I think you're breaking even with that. I love uh, that. Yeah, because <laughs> I, I I thought you were on my side then, and then you 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 overdid it with the special bulldog clip. Well, part of being wow. a marriage counselor is seeing you know both sides of the <laughs> argument. So, yeah, I'm, I'm walking. It that does feel rope. like couples counseling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, sorry, Lauren. One more, you said. All right. One more. One more. Um. So I didn't really get this when we were kind of in Melbourne and I know that Michael like loves to live in Melbourne, but you know, we're traveling to lots of sort of exotic destinations, very different to home, a lot of culture shock, but Michael is obsessed with Adelaide. Like he, (laughs) (laughs) everything reminds him of Adelaide. Like it can be like. (laughs) <laughs> your Joe Blow Street down here with like I don't know rats hanging out and like oh Manly Street people cooking food in a bin and he's like oh, this kind of reminds me like the lights similar to Adelaide like oh if there's like a crowd he's like oh it's like Adelaide's Fringe Festival and I'm like not everything has to do with Adelaide <laughs> so funny. okay to be this fair, Thai street this... food is like the Adelaide Central Market. <laughs> Exactly. exactly. So, so this, I said this once in Not. earnest, and then I got a, such a strong reaction from you that I've just <laughs> kept trying to do it with the most crazy scenarios. <laughs> like we went to Harlong Bay, which has all these like mountains and stuff. I wanted to see if you, if if I said this reminds me of Adelaide, if you would react. 
and just be like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. That's a good joke. That's good. Oh. Yeah. Which really? I, I'm kind of, yeah. I, I'm impressed that you didn't realize that. Oh. <laughs> oh. Why did I have to end on that one? Now we're no, that's great. That's oh. perfect. I'm annoyed that I can't do that anymore now, though. Yeah. It's ruined. That's all right. You know, the, the life of a theatre kid is one just striving for the next big thing. So <laughs> you'll find your new bits and, and continue. Well, uh, good stuff. Well, that, that was delightful. Thank was you, okay? Lauren. Yeah, I'm very yeah. glad that so far the experience has been mostly positive. Um, mm. And, you know, get a bulldog clip in there and I think your problems will be solved. I, I think you should. Yeah. Yeah. Has it been, has it been okay so far? The traveling with me, long pause. Take long longer. pause. Take longer. <laughs> yeah. Long pause. There's a bit of an IRL lag, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, great. It's good. We're having a good time. Well, so it's fine. So I have a, it's fine. I love a fine. I love a fine. I'll <laughs> no. take a fine. 